on? There it is. Um, <clears throat> again, it's a delight to be with you, and we do pray for Pastor Kerry and Melissa as uh, we want them to become really refreshed and energized. They've invested so much. It's, uh, you have a good pastor here. I'm David Gilmore. I am, uh, this is my home church when I am home. <laughs> uh, I am a district superintendent of the Christian Missionary Alliance. This is a Christian Missionary Alliance church, so this is one of 104 churches that, uh, that I help give care for. I'm like the pastor of the pastors, so to speak. So uh, I'm, I'm often traveling all over. So it's Southern California, uh, Arizona, New Mexico. And so it, it keeps me pretty busy and on the road. But when I'm in town, I'm here. I have been a pastor for 37 years. So I have, at one time, I calculated it was like 1,500 sermons during my life, something like that. It's, it's silly, isn't it? Um, I started last week talking to you um, about forgiveness. And then I gave you a foundational piece last week for this week which is about the ministry of the Holy Spirit from, from Romans chapter 8. So I want to review that, but I want to start with prayer and uh, ask you to really have a conversation with Jesus as we enter into this, okay? So, Father, it is in Jesus' name that I, I need you. You've walked me through all kinds of things disappointments, heartache, pain, joy, triumph, victory, defeat. This morning, as I stand before your people and I begin to share what you've taught me about forgiveness, my concern is that it would be about me and it shouldn't. It needs to be about you. For you've loved us so much that you gave your son the sacrifice, the cost, that even while we were yet sinners, you loved us. Heavenly Father, prepare our hearts to receive from you what it is you want to say. So simply, as you sit in your mind, have a conversation with Jesus. Say, Jesus, what do you want to say to me this morning? We submit and surrender to you. Holy Spirit, fall upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Real briefly, well, <laughs> yeah, a pastor, pastor who says, real briefly, all right? I want to recap Romans chapter 8 that we covered last week because there were three things that we covered. Starting with verse 1 of chapter 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ Jesus, it's a positional thing. Because of the first seven chapters of Romans, it is theologically laid out that because God loved us, he sent his son. And by his grace, and we have faith in Jesus, and Jesus paid that price, we have redemption. We're redeemed. We're bought from the consequences of sin, which is death and entered into a life and a relationship with the Father through the Son. Okay? That was a big breath, right? So there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And then we went into the second piece, which was the power that comes with understanding what we think. 
And then the, the last part was our passions, and our passions are controlled because of the Holy Spirit. And so when we have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, we have things that are within us. It's a two-fold front. There, there are our habits. There is our, hab- there are our habits. We, we got habits, y'all. <laughs> you got habits, and then you have these passions. And we, ha- we can't break our, our habits with the passions. And so the passions need to be controlled or put to death, literally by verse 13 of the 8th chapter, which says, if by the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. The misdeeds of the body are those passions that create and draw and distract us. Now, our job is to change habits. And that goes back to what is today as we talk about forgiveness. Understanding, how do I embrace the Holy Spirit and bring him into this process of forgiveness? So, I started to share a story last week that to set up for this Sunday about forgiveness. I, as I pondered the, the issue of forgiveness, I realized, man, I have like a dozen big ones that I could choose from. And so, uh, I, I, as I pondered that, I came to the conclusion that if we took the time to go around the room, I'll bet you everybody in this room has a story of being burned, of being hurt. Why? It tells us in John 10, 10, that Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus is saying, I have come to give life that is abundant. Here's the reason, because in John chapter 8, verse 32, verse 3 through 36, says the truth, it is the truth that sets free. And if it's truth that sets free, it's lies that bring bondage. And I have discovered that the enemy loves to bring us into trauma, hurts, aches, and pains because it's in trauma, hurts, aches, pains, disappointments where lies can seep in about us, about others, about God, about life. And if you have a lie, there's bondage. You don't get to have the joy of the Lord. Throughout the years of counseling, I learned the process that always starts with forgiveness. Time and time again. Simply saying, do you have someone you need to forgive? Usually the quick answer is, is, it's usually a quick answer. It's either yes or no. And no doesn't mean that they don't. It means that they deny it and ignore it. Yes means it's so predominant that they are insisting, no, I'm never going to do that. So, What I want to do this morning is walk you through the cause or the command to forgive, the consequences of not forgiving, but then the cure. How do we get through it? Now, I started to tell you the story last week about our time in Wisconsin. We were pastoring Wisconsin uh, seven, between seven and eight years, seven and a half years. Last year there, um, and and God did incredible things. He he just exploded that ministry. It was really phenomenal. And, And so... The last year became very, very difficult, and I learned that I had one of my, uh, it was a new elder, but he was uh, an elderly man who would come in every week into my office, and we would pray about the issues of the church. As an elder, he was very aware of all that was going on. Unbeknownst to me, he was making phone calls to people in the church and telling the people of the church that, that I was stealing from the church. I was embezzling. I was clueless. 
I had no idea this was going on. Several months this was going on, and people started to leave the church, and they were mad at me. Nobody would tell me why, and I could not figure out what was going on. So I called for a congregational meeting, and I asked my district superintendent, funny I'm that now, now, and I get to go to those things, but he came in, and it was at that meeting in front of 200 people where it finally came out that I was embezzling from the church. It wrecked our ministry. No one believed me. No one trusted me. The district audited the books, proved every penny was there, and that I hadn't embezzled. But it wrecked it. We had to move. So from Wisconsin, we're like, well, what do we do? I mean, it was almost August. Kids are going to start school. Uh, I had family in Lincoln, Nebraska, so we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. My brother, who was... uh, and charge the IT department for the Nebraska State Treasurer's Office. They were hiring data entry, and I'm like, that'd be great. Put me in a cubicle with a computer, no people. I love it. <laughs> you see, when you get burned badly, you need, you need space. Now, I'm, I'm a, it took me two years to get over forgiving this guy and walking through that. So what I'm going to be talking about in the cure section is what I had to go through. Here's, there's such an emotional captivation that happens when somebody wrongs you. There was injustice that was done. It was unfair. There was slander. There was deceit. Uh, and, and if we took the time, I'll bet you everybody could tell a story about how somebody has done that. They betrayed you. You were stood up. I mean, those stories exist. And, and it's not that they won't exist. I think what as I as I processed my list of all the times I've had to go through that, I realized none of them were strangers. All of them I had relationship with, which is what creates the woundedness. Here's I wanna I want to tell you the, the the very backside. God is sovereign, yes? You know what that means? He's in charge of everything. It tells us in Hebrews 12 that the discipline of the Lord is painful. It hurts. But those who are trained by it will receive and experience the righteousness of God. Now, here's what's kind of weird about this whole thing, okay? I'm accused of embezzling. I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska, Within five weeks of moving to Lincoln, Nebraska, I'm the deputy state treasurer for the state of Nebraska. That was in 2001. That was the fall of 2001. Can you think of something else that happened the fall of 2001? 9-11. And God had put me in the capital to become a pastor. Not in a church, but to people who desperately needed Jesus. That's, the, that's the, the back side of the story, is the uniqueness of being in the governor's mansion and then praying with the governor and having the health and human services director come to your office and go like, man, can we talk about some spiritual things? And you're like, huh, <laughs> yes, we can. All the while, I'm still wrestling with, let's just call the guy Ron, with this guy, is there a Ron in the room? We can, we can change the name. I don't want to use, offend anybody. Sorry, Ron. Okay, is there a Pete? 
We're good on Pete. Okay, so Petey. So this guy, <laughs> this guy, and, 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 you know, the idea of, of the woundedness is typically is to just forget about it, move on. I, I'm really good at denying. Just deny it, move on. Eh, whatever. You know, it's, it's the farmer in me. It's what you do. It just, you just get up and go. It's what it is. The problem with that, and my wife and I would go to the mall and do walking at the mall, and the problem, there was this jewelry store that had this darn little mannequin that was a spitting image of him standing out front holding a tray. And so you would walk the mall and see this guy every time. It's like, oh, you know, you're getting over it, and you turn the corner, it's like, oh, there he is. I thought about, you know, punching the mannequin, but I thought, well, you know, what will that prove other than maybe make me look really stupid, which that was already happening. So God has this unique way of putting us in situations to identify things within us that are weak. So I'm going to briefly refer last week, Romans chapter 8, when I am weak, but 2 Corinthians 12, when I am weak, then he is strong. But in chapter 8, it's when we allow the Holy Spirit to put to death. I didn't want to forgive that guy. I was, you know, pray for those who persecute you. We're going to get that to a bit. Pray for those who persecute you. The prayer goes something like this. Lord, please help him get hit by a truck today. <laughs> and you're like, okay, forgive me about that one. It, it hurts, right? You know it. Right now, if I gave an open mic and said, start sharing the story, we would hear story after story after story. We'd go, like, oh, oh. And, and there's this connection because, like, oh, I know that pain. Oh, mm. How do you get past it? Good luck running the slides. I, get, I didn't take the clicker because I am so far off track, but that's okay. Just work with me on this one. Um, there was a lady in, in our Fort Worth church sweet lady, loved Jesus, grew up in the church. It's a Bible belt there. And she had known the Lord her whole life. She got pancreatic cancer. 75 years old, she's on hospice care. And, and I was in my late 20s as a pastor and really just kind of learning about spiritual warfare. And this couple in the church said to me on a Sunday morning, hey, pastor, we think Inez's sickness is demonic. I'm like, oh, I'll tell her you think that. I didn't know. <laughs> so I went to visit Inez that week, and I said, hey, Inez, <laughs> Jane and Lute think your sickness is demonic. She goes, hmm, you know, I think they're right. Oh, I, was, I, was, I was so new and innocent with that. I'm like, okay. There was a guy in my church who had been a pastor, uh, and so I said, you know, he, he and I are going to come back and pray for you tomorrow. And so we did. I had a book called How to Have a Deliverance Ministry by George Birch that I brought with me because the last chapter had the seven steps on how to pray for somebody to, to get freedom. I'm like, I'm clueless. We're just going to use the seven steps. I propped it up on her hospital bed there in her living room. So, okay, well, step one is forgiveness. Is there anything you need to forgive anybody? Well, yes, yes, there is. Okay, great. I don't want to forgive. 
well, we got to talk about this. She had a stepbrother who had swindled or stole her inheritance from her father. That inheritance was one block of downtown Dallas. You can add the cash there. Through the course of the conversation, she concluded she would forgive him, and she prayed a prayer to forgive him, and we walked through the steps. And literally, as I was rebuking this spirit of unforgiveness, she went white and quit breathing, and I thought, I killed her. I'm starting to panic. Like, this is the very first time. I don't know what to do, and the Holy Spirit is so gracious. He's like, just pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And so I did, and the Holy Spirit fell upon her, and color flushed back into her face, and she began to pray a prayer of praise and honor and worship unto the Lord like I've never heard. It was absolutely beautiful. She said, you know, I'm really hungry. All she had was like an insure in the house. It was like, I really want some fruit. So we went and got some fruit, came back within about 20 minutes, and she was out of bed. God healed her. It went away. She got off hospice. She went back to normal. Actually, she had been giving away her car and all of her stuff, so we had to give a lot back to her. <laughs> but that's awesome. God healed her. It, it was because of forgiveness. There was an issue that happened years prior that gave ground. It wasn't that she wasn't a believer. She was a believer. She loved Jesus. She loved the word of God. But she had this issue of unforgiveness. And because she had this issue of unforgiveness, it gave Satan, the adversary of our soul, the right to torment her. Now, please listen. Not all cancer is because of a sin issue or unforgiveness. Don't read into that. This particular issue, it turned out that way. That is not, the, you can't just blanket like that. We always seek the Lord in all things and all ways. So, I'm actually going to go to uh, Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> not Matthew, Luke. <laughs> I think I did say Matthew earlier to y'all in the, in the booth, sorry. Oh boy, Lord help us, or at least help me. In Matthew, in Matthew, Sooner or later, we're going to get to Matthew, but right now we're going to start in Luke. Luke chapter 18 and verse 27 says this, but I say, and Jesus is speaking, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Is that not a hard verse to hear? Pray for those who abuse you? Are you kidding? Bless those who curse you? See, you know why it took me two years to forgive the guy in Wisconsin? Because I could not pray for God to bless him. That sinner, heathen, needed to burn. Now, see, I, I, I say that because that's the genuinity of where I was at. Now, the reality is this. Let's go back to our Romans chapter 8 teaching. The passion was to not forgive. So what Romans 8.13 last week that we studied was this. The passion I set before the Lord... If by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we'll live. How will I ever forgive if I have a constant hatred for him? So the prayer is a reluctant prayer, but it's a prayer of obedience. It says, Lord, I know you want me to forgive him. Therefore, if you really want me to forgive him, you're going to have to change his passion because I don't want to. 
But if the Holy Spirit wants that to be done, the Holy Spirit is going to have to put to death in me this desire to not forgive him. Now, the uniqueness, if you're, if you're going to pray that and pray that consistently, it happens. So then what? Well, the next piece there is, is saying, bless. Bless those who, who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Ah, I don't want God's blessing on that person. They hurt. They're mean. They're sinful. So the Lord had to teach me a few things. Let me ask you this question. Does God bless sin? This means yes, if you can't say it out loud. Does God bless sin? Thank you. One person said it. Does God bless sin? Okay, thank you. Does God bless sin? When you pray for God to bless those who have abused you or have cursed you, you are literally turning the Holy Spirit loose on them. You are stepping out of the way and saying, vengeance is mine, it's the Lord. Therefore, Father, bless him because God cannot bless sin. God is going to do a work in their life that will bring them to repentance or they will pay the price. See, when I finally cross the bridge to understand that, oh, God is sovereign. He's in charge. He's the one who's going to judge. It's not up to me. And I step back and I realize that the blessing and praying for the blessing is more about the healing of my heart. It has nothing to do with the other person other than that it heals my heart. And when my heart becomes healed, I can have the genuine love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a really beautiful thing. Let me finish this text. I'll start again in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's when you want to put it in your office, little cubicle or wherever you're at, inside your locker at school. You post this verse. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. I had a neighbor. I don't know why this just came to my mind. I had a neighbor when we lived in Fort Worth. He would dump. We had these little four-foot chain link fence, and he would dump his cut grass over the fence into my yard. I had to work through that one, too. I don't know. That just reminded me. Here we go. <clears throat> There's so many things that happen in life where you, you, you're you going to be challenged with this verse. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from the one who takes your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs of you. And for the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. I've lost a lot of tools over the years. It took me the reality to say, they're not mine. People go, hey, David, I know you got this, da 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 I'm like, yeah, can I borrow that? Yes. And in my head, literally, in my head, I have to go like, well, that one's gone. <laughs> I'm serious. If it comes back, I go, woohoo, praise Jesus. But it, they don't sometimes. And that's okay. Here's the point. That's okay. You with me? There's a verse. I'm so far off track, but that's okay. 
There's a verse over in 1 Corinthians, and it's in chapter 5, and it, and it talks about lawsuits and brothers running to lawsuit and sue each other. And here's the verse. He goes, what's wrong with just being wronged? Let me ask you this question. Are we supposed to be Christ-like? Okay. Was it fair that Jesus went to the cross? Was he wronged? So if we're going to be Christ-like, why are we shocked or surprised that things happen to us? Or feel like, no, it's got to be fair. It's got to be just. I, I, it just baffles me sometimes. No, all the time. It does. It baffles me that, that people somehow buy into the world's philosophy that justice is going to happen in a sinful world here. It isn't. It's not fair. It's not going to be fair. It tells us in Timothy that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. Am I out of time yet? <laughs> I'm so far off. That's okay. You okay with this? Okay, so okay, so we know that the scripture says we have to forgive. And we understand that the process, because I really need you to get this, going back to last week when we were talking about this, that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It can't even please God. That's verse chapter eight of Romans, verses four, five, six, seven. Uh, all the way to verse 8, that whole section, it talks about the mind. And I really need you to pay attention to this piece of it because this is the part that I want you to get captured with. This is your responsibility. It's what goes on in your head. So as Pastor John read this morning from the Lord's Prayer, Father, forgive our debts as we forgive those who, who have sinned against us. Do you really understand what that just said? You're basically giving the clause... Hey, God, I want you to forgive me exactly how I forgive everybody else. That's what it's saying. Forgive me of my debts as I forgive, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. If you are holding it, that's, that's why it goes on into verses 15 and 14 and 15 of the sixth chapter of Matthew. See, we did get to Matthew finally. Uh, it, it, and it talks about if you don't forgive, the Father won't forgive you. Why? Because you set the standard. He forgave. And he said, now I've given you this. It's such a beautiful thing. Let's, let, let's go to um, Matthew for a second because <clears throat> I, I do have a the, yeah, it is Matthew 18. See, that's really, I, the Lord was really trying to take me to Matthew 18, so let's go to Matthew 18, okay? You good with that? It's like, dang, this preacher doesn't know at all what he's doing. That's okay. I don't. There's the, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21. And it's a fascinating thing because Peter goes to Jesus, and Peter thinks he's being really spiritual and insightful. And he asks this question. And Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as like seven times, which three was considered extremely gracious in the culture there. So he thought he was really doing well. Jesus, verse 22, said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, you can't keep track. It's not possible to keep track. That's even what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. Don't keep track of wrong being done. The love chapter. 
Well, verse 23 says, the kingdom, and Jesus begins to tell this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts to his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed, who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me just pause. That doesn't mean much to us, 10,000 talents. Was it like America got talent? What is this? I don't understand. Well, talent back then was the largest measurement, which was 75, approximately 75 pounds. So if it is 10,000 talents, take 10,000 times 75 pounds, and you get 7.5, so 7,500,000 is what it is. That's the amount. If we were to equate that out, I did some math. Really? Preachers can do math? Well, I had help. In today's dollar, this would be approximately worth $8 million. Okay? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't read my notes right. $8 billion. So, when you read this, let's just put in $8 million. When he began to settle, he brought to him one who owed him $8 billion. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children all he had to payment until payment was made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master gave, gave, forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is about $16,000. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. You should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Verse 35. So, in other words, the parable was to teach a point. Here it is. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now, let me clarify. This is not about your salvation being removed. This is not a salvation text. You are saved by grace, not by works, right? This is yes. Y'all okay? Okay. I don't know if you're sleeping. Okay. You are saved by the grace of God, not by works. If that's true, and I believe it is, then you can't have a work that would lose your salvation. That would nullify the very essence of salvation isn't by works. So this text is not about a salvation issue, but it is about a forgiveness issue. So the Father will do. It doesn't change the relationship that you have with the Father and your position in Christ Jesus, but it does mean you're going to pay a price. Remember the story about Inez? She paid a price because she wouldn't forgive. When she forgave, she was released and freed from that bondage. Now, because Satan knows this, the adversary of your soul, what do you think he's going to try to do to you? Do you think he'll try to create some trauma, some wounded, some unjustness, somebody to slander you, somebody to throw you under the bus, somehow to hurt you so that you won't forgive them? 
that gives him constant access to torment you. Pretty good strategy on his part if you want to be ignorant enough and buy into the American way, which is, what's well, justice. I need justice. It's not fair. I know I can be dramatic. That's why my kids are in drama. Here's, here's what I want you to be captivated with. I want you to understand the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit's role in walking us through this. When I am weak, he is strong. The sooner you actually come to the end of yourself and say, I, I know you want me to forgive. I can't. I can't do it. See, that? that's the Romans 8.13. That's when you go, oh, well, if you really want this, here it is. Here it is. Change it. Now, I'm, I'm using the essence of forgiveness this morning, but any hurt, habit, or hang-up, any capacity, anything that you struggle with fits that same role. I, it, it, worshiping through offering and, and giving of our tithes and offerings. Oh, if God really needs it, he'd take it, right? What? Well, see, truth sets free. Lies bring bondage. Patience. Whether being patient with somebody or being gentle with others or being honest. Well, it's just a little white lie. See, we, we always have are tested with our character. And you need to set those things before the Lord Jesus. Say, if you really want this, I need you to do this in me. So the Holy Spirit who Jesus said, I'm going to send the helper to you, is our helper. The problem is we don't need help. We, we think we got this. Ah, you know, God, you're a big God. You, you run a whole universe. <laughs> it's just little old me. I can take care of this. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I paid the price. I, 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 you, I need you. You, you. This is for you. But see, here's the uniqueness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not force himself. He will not insist on himself. He waits for the invitation. And when he is invited and given permission to come in, he will do what he intends to do. Unlike the adversary who, to, who will deceitfully knock the door down and come raging in. The command is for us to forgive. The consequences, if we don't, uniquely enough, and I know we have a slide in there for somewhere. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. But it basically, wow, look at that. I ask and it's delivered. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Forgiveness is one of those things that creates this root of bitterness. And it doesn't just harm you, it harms those around you. Probably one of the most powerful teachings in the scripture that causes me to be repentant is that the sins of the father are passed on to the third and the fourth generation. That terrifies me. And it draws me to repentance because the essence of my own sin is like, yeah, you're right, I'm a sinner, I deserve death, I deserve whatever. But to pass that on means I refuse to deal with it. And so if you choose to say, I'm not going to forgive, I'm going to be what I am, tough luck. 
It is who I is. You just set the DNA for, your, for the lineage beyond you. One of the most important reasons you want to find yourself on your face before the Lord is to change the DNA of those who follow after you. It will still be their choice, but there's still something unique that happens there where it gives. We could look through the scripture. I'm not going to take the time now. It's really fascinating, though. Abraham lied. And you just see this fourth generation all the way. Lie, 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 lie. It's just there. It's a biblical teaching. It matters what you do. You can't ignore God. You pass it on. So, here's what I want to encourage you with. Your job is to take captive every thought. There's another text. There's a slide in there about 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. Why did I have the clicker last week? <laughs> for though you walk in the flesh, you don't wage war the way the world wages war in the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They have divine power to, des to destroy strongholds. You have hurts, habits, and hangouts? That's a stronghold. It's not we are free, but we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Here it is. We take captive every thought to obey Christ. You know, not every thought is your thought. I'll say that again slowly. Not every thought is your thought. That was such a relief to me. I was pretty sure I was the worst person on the face of the earth with all the thoughts that were bombarding my mind. See, whatever you watch, watch on TV, listen to certain music, it filtrates and it begins to, to channel what your thoughts are directed to. And when your thoughts are not holy and are not godly, and your thoughts will bring destruction to you. That's what we saw last week from Romans chapter 8. Your thoughts, if they are bent on the flesh, they're hostile to God. They can't please God. And those of us who are believers in Christ Jesus, if we don't understand that our thoughts matter, we'll get destroyed. That's the Philippians 4 text, where Philippians 4, 8, therefore think on these, actually starts in verse 4, but, but it, it, you hit verse 4, therefore think, whatever is uh, commendable, if there's any, I'm looking at the last half of that verse, that's really small print. <laughs> it's there, it's there you, it, but here's the uniqueness of it, it gives like eight things, think on this, think on this, think on this, think on this, then the peace of God. We pray for the peace of God, but we choose not to think. We don't change what we think about. The peace of God only comes when we change what we think about. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on the things above. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be renewed in your mind. What? Changing. You've got to change. Don't be conformed to this world. Be renewed in your mind. You've got to make this choice about what you think about. It's your responsibility. That's the habit piece. The Holy Spirit will embrace the things that you choose to think about. I find that in some of my darkest, toughest days when the spiritual battle is the hardest, the best thing I can do is put praise music on in the background and just let that help me with thoughts. Can't remember what year it was, Tammy, when, uh, that was 2009, thanks, appreciate your help. 
I, 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 had, uh, I had this kidney stone, and it wouldn't go away, and apparently it was behind some bone, so they couldn't, like, you know, do whatever they do. I don't know. So the surgically, I don't know, outpatient thing, go in and remove it. So that was on a Monday. Monday afternoon, I go in. Well, Wednesday afternoon, I wake up, and I'm like, something clearly went wrong. Because I was intubated, uh, you know, you got tubes and you wake up and you can't speak and your kids that are supposed to be out of state are standing beside your bed, you're thinking, hmm, something must be wrong. Here's what's, why do I go there? The uniqueness of that um, induced coma state was uh, the fact that my wife put in the room worship music that played constantly. But in that state of coma, it was, it was, I remember being in an orb of light and, and it was black. It was like tar walls with eyeballs. That was just the weirdest thing. Why do I say that? Because the power of worship music or music that isn't helpful to what happens in your head harms you. We dismiss it as entertainment, but it's not just entertainment. What goes on in your head matters. You will be what goes on in your head. You will be consumed by that. And if you are consumed by unforgiveness, you aren't going to forgive. Now, here's, here's the last piece, and, then, and I'm going to wrap that up. The last piece of forgiveness is this. We forgive as the Father forgave us. Right? Sometimes we think that forgiveness means it's a dismissal uh, and we, 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 we give them, the, well, you know, sin is sin. They are who they are. And this is why, this truth sets free, lies free more. This is one of the lies that, that prevents us from forgiving is because somehow we believe the lie that if I choose to forgive, that means I'm okay with what they did. It's not. Forgiveness has nothing to do with them. Forgiveness has everything to do with you. As the Father forgave me, do you think the Father has forgotten everything I've done or everything you've done? Or does he choose not to remember it against you? It's the latter. He doesn't forget. But he paid the price and he chooses not to bring it back against you. That's what we're to do in forgiveness. It doesn't mean you forget the harm done. It means you don't entertain it. You don't replay over and over and over and over in your head the wrong that was done. The more you replay that tape, the harder it will be. And the more bondage, it's like a little web that just continues to increase around and gripping your soul and breathing the life out of your spirit. To forgive also doesn't mean that it's complete restoration and whatever relationship you had before is what it is. See, trust and forgiveness are not the same. You with me on this one? This is important because a lot of people think that forgiveness means everything is forgotten and everything is restored. No, forgiveness means I choose not to hold it against you. It might be that I never trust you like Petey in Wisconsin. <laughs> but I forgive him. And here's what happens. I know that I've reached forgiveness 
when I have the heart of God. And the heart of God loves the sinner and grieves for them. So that I know that in my prayer, when I am grieved and concerned about the well-being of that individual who damaged, hurt, wounded, slandered, whatever it was, I've reached the heart of God having filled me. If I am still embittered with it, then it's still a process. It is a process. And the process looks like this. Holy Spirit, you need to put to death in me the desire not to forgive. You need to put in me the capacity to forgive. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Your job then is to follow what we read in Luke 18. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray, bless those who curse you. That's your job. The reason it's your job is because it's through that act of obedience that, that the healing in your own heart happens. And you can attain, you literally get the heart of God and you can genuinely say, Father, I really do care about that person. I know if Petey walked into this room, I would want to talk, I would want to find out what, what's been your journey. What's God doing? Because I can also look back at it and go like, it was sure painful, but God moved me into the state capital of Nebraska to put me in a place of influence where I could represent him well at a desperate time of our nation. Couldn't have planned it, couldn't have tried it. There was just no way I could have ever done that. God did it. How? By causing me pain. Do you realize that some of the pain in your life, God is trying to direct and steer you in a direction that is in line with him, and in that process, teaching you of himself. Close your eyes. Bow your head. I want you to think of somebody that you struggle to forgive. Don't say it out loud, please. But tell Jesus. Jesus this individual or individuals we struggle to forgive. So we want to embrace your word which says let you do it. And so agree with me in this prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit put to death in me the unwillingness to forgive. Holy Spirit put in me the willingness to forgive. And now, not because of a feeling, but purely out of obedience to the word of God, make a choice to forgive, which simply says this, I choose to forgive, and you name their name. And every time Satan tries to entice you to think about the wrong done, you repeat that choice. Nope, I choose to forgive Petey. I choose to forgive Feeney. In Jesus' name. And then you turn that into a prayer, Father, bless Petey. He needs you desperately. There are things in his life that aren't right. So you say, that's how you pray. You pray for a blessing and you pray genuinely that the Lord would captivate them. If you're going to spend eternity in heaven and they're there, you want to make sure it's right. 
Father, this is easy to teach, and yet it's so hard to live out. Quite frankly, I think forgiving somebody else is one of the hardest things we can do. And yet it's not impossible. It's part of the journey that you use to draw us into the awareness that we have a helper. We are grateful for you, O Lord. May we really fully embrace with joy the fact that you are patient with us in this process of learning more about you. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. The worship team is going to come, and as they come, uh, I just want to remind you that when, when we're being efficient by passing the plate during song and, and singing, that doesn't make it any less of a worship, an act of worship. The giving of your tithes and offering is an expression. Come on up, uh, worship team. I failed to say it earlier. The, the giving of your tithes and offering is, is an expression of worship. For God so loved the world that he what? Yeah, he gave. You see, if you love God, you are generous because God is a generous God. Now, it sounds like I'm begging for money. I'm not. God's going to take care of his body. This is about whether you get to receive the blessing of God because you depend on the giver. It's an act of worship. So in Jesus' name, as we stand and sing and worship together, worship him in the giving of tithes and offering as well.